that's you and that's me offering. We are offering ourselves to the Lord. You and I do this every week. Give yourself to the Lord afresh. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, to the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5. And we're in the third beatitude today. So let me read the first three of these beatitudes. You'll sense that they build on each other. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So far the reading of God's word and many more scriptures on the back of your sermon outline that I will point out as we go along. So you may want to have that handy. I'd like you to finish this sentence. Look out for number one, right? Do to others blank, they do it unto you. What's that? Do it to others before they do it unto you. That's right. Kill or be killed. Don't get mad, get... Well, we have some sanctified people up front, but the rest of you knew. If you're going to get what you want, how do you do it? You've got to look out for number one. Do to others before they do it to you. And don't get mad, get even. That's the way to come out ahead, isn't it? But Jesus says to us loudly and clearly today, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In the end, according to Jesus, who comes out ahead? The violent the cruel, the aggressive, the bully, the mean, the resentful. According to Jesus, who comes out ahead? The meek, the gentle, the humble. And it's very interesting because this one Greek word, praeus, that is translated here meek, is a it's a very rich word, and sometimes in the New Testament it's translated meek, sometimes it's translated humble, sometimes it's translated gentle. In the end, who comes out ahead? Well, Jesus says it's the meek. So my question to you today is, do you believe him? Do you believe Jesus when he says the meek 
my disciples will inherit the earth. What do you think? Well, let's do a a little review from the past few weeks. I hope you've been paying attention, but if you're half awake a third of the time, you know that uh, we're defining the word blessed because he starts each of these beatitudes with the word blessed. And what have have we come to see? What we've seen is uh, the translation of the word blessed by a man named Kenneth West, a, a great New Testament scholar. And he says, spiritually prosperous are those who are meek. Spiritually prosperous, the first week we saw, are you if you're poor in spirit. Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. And then, he, he, he's, what is he saying? He's saying, you get God himself if you're poor in spirit. And then he says, um, spiritually prosperous are you if you mourn. If you mourn over the brokenness of this world and you mourn over the sinfulness of your own flesh, he says, you will be comforted. And today, we think of this third beatitude with this strange declaration of blessedness. Spiritually prosperous are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I haven't talked much about this term prosperous and prosperity, but what is prosperity? Prosperity, in an earthly sense, is health and wealth, people would say. Health and wealth. And what I believe Jesus is saying here is that his disciples experience spiritual health and spiritual wealth when they follow him. As you know, I'm not a big fan of TV preachers who promise you untold wealth and riches and, uh, and uh, who just say, if you just have a little bit of faith, you'll never have a problem in your life. I think the rest of the New Testament makes abundantly clear, and the Old Testament, that our days are full of trouble. There will be difficulties. And some of us, under God's providential hand, we will find good income and significant income, and others of us, we will have less income, and we will have struggles, and some of us will undergo disease, and God will heal us, and other times he will not heal us. But, but I do believe, and I promise you, you can take this to the bank, that the disciples of Jesus Christ are spiritually prosperous. They are truly blessed when they follow him. problem, of course, that some of you have is you'll have some whiplash with this third beatitude because we don't naturally associate meekness with prosperity. Certainly not the way you get ahead in the world, is it? Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the world thinks in terms of strength and power, of self-assurance and aggressiveness. That is the way of conquest and the way to possession. And the more you assert yourself and the more you express yourself, the more likely you are to succeed. And then Jesus brings this astounding statement, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Were you taught in school, elementary school, meekness is really important. When you went to college, Was there a seminar that you attended that said meekness 
is the route to prosperity. There wasn't. This is tricky stuff. I learned to be arrogant. I learned to look out for number one, because if you don't look out for yourself, nobody else will. And I never thought of myself as a bully. I just had an assertive personality. Some of you can relate to that a little bit. Do you ever insult people? Do you ever get so angry the veins on your neck stick out? Do you have temper tantrums? This is, the, this is the fallen world. This is the way of the world. It's the way of the world. It's the way of our flesh. And Jesus says to his disciples, this is very bad. He says, my disciples will be meek. And they will prosper spiritually. They'll be very different from the world. And you say, but, but John... What you described is the only way I've ever known. That's when Jesus says, learn meekness from me. Because I don't know who else you're really going to learn it from. This is point number two in your sermon outline. Jesus says, learn meekness from me. Because we don't naturally know what it is. We need to look ahead a couple chapters in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus was teaching. And he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, these beautiful, familiar words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And that's, that's the same word that we translated meek, okay? But here it's translated gentle. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So here's what's going on. Jesus says, learn meekness from me. But before that, he says, you've got to take my yoke and put it on. And then he says, by the way, you've got to understand before you put it on, my yoke is easy, and the burden is light. So here's... What is this yoke? One, one child once heard me talk about it in this church and said, why would you break an egg and put on an egg? He thought it was the yoke of an egg. No, what is the yoke that Jesus is talking about? It's the harness that an ox wears in order to pull the plow, in order to be attached to the plow or to be attached to another ox. And Jesus is saying, you put on my yoke in order to be attached to me, okay, and I want you to know that it's easy. I want you to know that it's light. Don't be afraid to put it on. What does he mean, his yoke is easy? Before we're going to study him, we gotta, we've really got to get this North Shore Community Church. I'll tell you what it is. It's learning how to live under the grace of God. To live in the grace of God is to have the easy yoke. You say, oh, John, you talk about the grace of God all the time. You bet I do. You bet I do. I just got a, a, an email a story about a missionary 
that I know, a very uh, famous missionary who has become um, an executive in a missionary society that I support. His name is Mark Kyle, and he spoke of a, what he called the grace awakening in his life. Mark, when did you experience that grace awakening? When you became a Christian? No way. He became a Christian. And somebody taught him that the way to get God to bless him was for him to perform well. And he wanted God's blessing so much that he said, I'll do whatever I have to do in order to earn his blessing. And he became a missionary. And he went to be a missionary in the Philippines, in the slums of the Philippines. And he married a woman, and she wanted God's blessing. And he taught her that the way to get God's blessing was to perform in such a way that God would be pleased with you so that he would be finally happy with you and would give you blessing. And they came home from the mission field exhausted and broken. And with this sense... He could never do enough. That God was so great, so good, so holy, so glorious, so wonderful and so pure. He could never measure up with all this unlimited obligation. But he said, I was so hungry. I was so hungry that I cut the hook of the performance uh, uh, routine and I learned that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins and that I was completely forgiven. You say, could you be a missionary and not know that? You might know it functionally, but he didn't know it in his heart of hearts. I did not know that it was the performance of Jesus in my place that made me acceptable to the Father. It is Christ's act of obedience that is imputed to you, that is given to you. It is Christ's passive death on the cross, his passive obedience that is imputed to you. And when you become a Christian, you believe in Jesus and you live under his grace. And when, he does, when you do that, here's what Mark Kyle said. I learned then that his yoke was easy and his yoke was light and I felt an inner peace in my soul for the first time in 16 years. And now the only message I want to share is that the motive and the power for the Christian life is the gospel of grace at work in you and me. And now he is a powerhouse of love and a powerhouse of witness and a powerful mobilizer of Christians all over the world to serve Jesus Christ with gladness. Why? Because the yoke is easy. And he loves Jesus now. He doesn't fear him. He doesn't pedal on the, rat, the, the wheel, on the rat race wheel in order to get Jesus to love him anymore. He is loved. And so he lives with that easy yoke. And this is food for thought for you. Is this a new discovery? that some of us need to make? Because I tell you, what's about to follow about living meek, meekly will not work for you, will not make sense for you unless you know his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And when you start living under his grace, then you start to study him. And Jesus says, learn of me. Oh, yes, learn of me. 
and be meek. Let me give you a definition now of meekness. You have the yoke of his grace. I use the words of a man named David Pratt. I like his definition. He says, we will understand that meekness is an attitude or quality of heart. And by the way, that's in the reflection in your bulletin. Meekness is an attitude or quality of heart whereby a person willingly accepts and submits without resistance to the will and desires of someone else. The meek person is not self-willed, not continually concerned with self, his own ways, ideas, and wishes. He is willing to put himself in second place and submit himself to achieve what is good for others. Meekness is the opposite of self-will, self-interest, and self-assertiveness. This is a sign, Pratt says, not of weakness, but of character, as some think. This is a sign, I'm sorry, this is a sign not of weakness of character, as some think, but of strength, because it requires great self-control to submit to others. To be meek is to be meek before God and before men and women. And it is to live with a self-denial, a self-forgetting, a surrender of my agenda in order to bless God and to bless others. It is very counterintuitive to your flesh. Do you want to do that? None of us in our flesh wants to live this way. First, first, you're surrendered to God because you're living with the yoke of grace. Learn, for, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. I've saved you. My blood paid for your sins. My act of obedience is credited to your account. Now, now, submit to me. And you don't resist him. I, I received a beautiful letter of someone who is meek before God this week. A, a woman named Jill Page, who's one of my heroes. Jill Page uh, uh, serves in a Christian organization that takes troubled children in families and helps those children find a home in other homes before they, before they get arrested. And those families work, the parents work with the other parents to help them uh, learn parenting skills. She's an amazing woman. She was a prayer partner with me for 10 years in Philadelphia. Every Thursday, she came to prayer meeting for 10 years. She's tall, strong. She's a single woman, very healthy. She adopted a, very, a troubled teenage daughter took her into her home. She's raised this girl. She's now the young woman has graduated from high school. She wrote to me, Saturday, March 31st, I was driving home from work and had some abdominal pain. I went to my doctor, told him I thought I had appendicitis. She sent me for a CT scan, and it showed stage 4 cancer all through me. had a second opinion at Fox Chase Cancer Center. 
plan is to do a couple of chemo treatments to see if they can shrink the tumors and then debulk it. That means cut some of it out. Then there'll be eight more treatments. My family, my friends, my church, my co-workers have been wonderful. Lots of people praying and offering to help. God is showing me His tender mercies each day in the ways that I can only attribute to Him. The first night in the hospital, I spent some time reading the Psalms. And the one that has stuck to me is Psalm 31, verse 14. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. I'm not angry with God. I think cancer is part of living in a fallen world. God may decide to heal me, and he has the power to do that. And because I want my daughter to have a parent for more than just five years, I desire to be healed. Still, I am not afraid at all of death. I long for heaven, to see my Lord, to sin no more, to cry no more tears. Calm and peace have not been difficult to find But hearing about the surgery makes me nervous, and the side effects of the chemo is awfully unpleasant. So I remind myself that God will give me the grace to finish each day. He doesn't provide it in advance, but I do trust His sovereign plan. He will not leave me alone. This woman is meek before God. She is surrendered to God. She's honest. I want to be like her. Don't you? In your sane moments, don't you want to be like her? Live it before God. That is a surrender before God. But then, meekness has a horizontal dimension, and it is also lived before men and women. How do you do that? You, you hard-working, you strong-willed, aggressive New Yorkers, how do you do that? How do you live meekly before other people? Well, I used to think that being meek was like the guy in the back of the comic books. Uh, Forty years ago, you read about the Charles Atlas um, uh, ad. Uh, anybody else besides me remember the guy sitting on the beach and the bully comes along and kicks the sand in his face? You know, and that, that, that's what you had to do to be meek. Um, but I don't think that that's what Jesus is talking about. A friend of mine, Skip Ryan, when I was a young Christian, I still remember this, he, he described meekness like this. He said, think of a stallion before it is tamed. Think of a mighty stallion high on its hind legs and nobody dares to go near it. The stallion is strong, but it's no good to anybody else in its wildness. Once the stallion is tamed, the stallion is still strong, but now it's strength under control, and that makes him useful. Now, this is what's interesting. In the ancient world, the Greek word used for meek 
that we're translating sometimes gentle, sometimes humble, sometimes meek, that same word was used to apply to a stallion that had been brought under control. And so the word that Jesus is using is, for me, is a word that can mean strength under control. This is why a powerful man or a powerful woman can be meek. It's not just the person getting sand kicked in their face. Strength under control. And who is, who is the greatest picture? All of our beatitudes are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, learn from me. And if you want to learn how to be meek, then study Jesus Christ. I spent some time this week just flipping through the Gospels, interacting, watching Jesus. And remember when he raised that little girl from the dead? There's this little girl. She's dead, and Jesus gives this enormous display of power, power to revive the dead. And yet, he's so tender with her. And he says, oh, please, give her something to eat. Jesus draws thousands of people. His, his presence is commanding. They flock to hear him speak. And yet the children come too, and the children want to meet Jesus. And how does he react to the children? Do you remember? Let them come. Let them come. He's friendly toward children. He's gentle. He's meek. What about with the lepers, the unclean, the broken, the disenfranchised? He comes alongside them. He even touches them. The holiest person ever on earth touches the unholy and the unclean. What about that woman who broke into the party? Remember Simon the Pharisee's party? And he is appalled at this woman who comes in. And she breaks the perfume and puts it on Jesus' feet. And Simon is filled with contempt. And Jesus honors her and comforts her and blesses her. How about when he was mocked? How do you feel when people mock you? Does he become defiant? Does Jesus trash talk right back at them? What does he do? 1 Peter 2.23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I've told you this before, but I believe when Jesus was before Pontius Pilate, I believe that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were angels watching, 10,000 angels. Jesus himself acknowledges that there were angels that he could, he could snap his fingers and they would come and vaporize the Romans. And I don't know, but I bet those angels were up there looking down, saying, come on, Jesus, just call us. Come on, we've got the fire ready. Come on, Jesus, don't let them treat you like this. But Jesus is meek, strength under control, because he knows he needs to go to the cross, and so he does. And even forgives his murderers. Do 
Do you want that in your life? I want that in my life. I want to be more like Jesus. Sinclair Ferguson, in his comments on this, he says, There is probably no more beautiful quality in a Christian than meekness. It enhances manliness. It adorns femininity. It is a jewel polished by grace. What enhances manliness? How much you can bench press? What enhances manliness? You can dunk a basketball? What enhances manliness? That you can pull a wad of $100 bills out of your pocket and flash it in front of other people's eyes? What enhances manliness? Sinclair Ferguson is right. Jesus Christ is right. It's meekness. Men. To treat people with courtesy. To be humble and gentle. What are you teaching your sons? What, are you, what have you taught your sons about character? Have you taught them to be meek, strength under control, gentleness, courtesy, kindness? What enhances femininity? Meekness. It's not just, yes, yes, I'm in favor of equal pay for equal work, absolutely without a doubt. Let's smash some glass ceilings as far as I'm concerned. I think Jesus would cheer for that. But what enhances femininity? Peter says it clearly. It's the spirit that Sarah had. A spirit of sweetness, of submission, of grace. Ferguson is right. This is what polishes the jewel of the spirit inside of us as men and women. Paul writes, Philippians, Ephesians 4, 2, Be completely humble and gentle. There's the word. There's the word, meek. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. North Shore Community Church, can we hear this command from the Bible? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Will, you do, will, will we do this? I hope we will. I believe we will. What about if someone's caught in a sin? This is interesting. Galatians 6, 1. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. So tomorrow you go to work, and you're hard at work on the project your boss gave you, and then he comes in and he says, By the way, I need, I need you to take care of this for me today. And you're working so hard on the, on the task that you already have, and... And he's given you another job to do, and those people over there aren't doing anything. How do you react? Are you annoyed? Are you angry? Are you frustrated? What do you do? Tell them to do it. It's not in my job description. What do you do? If you're, if you're a Christian, you pray. You say, Jesus, I need help right now. I need to remember that I've got your yoke on me. Your yoke is easy. I'm living by grace right now. 
Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sins, even the sins that just erupted inside my heart. Thank you that they're covered by the blood of Christ. And Jesus, I need to study you, and I need to become meek right now. And I need to stop just wanting to assert myself, and I need to figure this out. Jesus, now what do I say to my boss? Okay, I got it. Say, all right, I'll do it. I need your help. Do you want me to stop doing what you gave me to do and put that off for a couple of days? Or do you want me to finish what I'm doing now and I'll get to what you need me to do uh, at 3 o'clock? Give me that help and I'll be glad. I'll be glad to do it. My time isn't my own. It's company time. That's meekness. And Jesus will help you do that. Let's, let's go to a trickier one. Let's say you're, you have a good friend, and you've noticed every time you get with this friend, they smell of alcohol. And their steps aren't so sure. You know what the Bible says about drunkenness. It says, don't, get, don't be drunk with wine. You know that alcohol impairs judgment you know that, that uh, families are destroyed. And you like this person. You care about this person. What do you do? Do you go yell at them and rebuke them and shake your finger at them? Is that what you do? No, because it says in Galatians 6.1, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. And you need to watch out lest you also are tempted. So what do you do? What does meekness look like if you're going to do it meekly? What do you do? Well, again, you pray first. You pray and you say, Jesus, i got areas where I escape. I've got some addictions, patterns myself I need to you know, be honest about. But I'm concerned for my friend. So I'm going to take the log out of my own eye first, but then I'm going to go to my friend and I'm going to talk to him about this. And you go and you say, you know... I just have to be honest with you. You know, we all struggle in this life, and we all cope with stress in different ways, but it seems to me like you're drinking a lot. And this is becoming your default mechanism for handling the stress in your life, and it can't be good. And they'll probably say, oh, no, don't worry about it. And you say, no, it can't be good. It can't be good. And I care about you. We need to get help. We need to get some help from people smarter than me and more talented than me in helping you face this. You see, that's meekness in action. If you are this way, Jesus makes you a promise. And this is the final point. He says you will inherit the earth. And we started talking about prosperity at the beginning. (laughs) You You want prosperity? You get more than Manhattan. would be nice if you owned all of Manhattan. I think Columbia University, aren't they not the largest landowner in Manhattan? Maybe NYU and and, uh, Trinity Church owns a lot too down there in Manhattan. You get the earth. What does he mean? And if you were awake earlier in the service... You saw that Jesus is quoting from Psalm 37, verse 11. 
and he's describing the time when the wicked are no more, when the wicked are cast off, and you can't find the wicked anymore. And then God's people dwell in the land in safety. Is it present or future? All these beatitudes, you know, Jesus, why do you make it so complicated sometimes? You know, is it a present promise or a future promise? What do you think? Well, it's got to be both. It is both. In each of these beatitudes, there is the initial first fruits of this promise. You will receive the kingdom of heaven, and indeed you already have. But bingo, the kingdom is coming in fullness when Christ returns. And you are comforted now, yes, last week, you are comforted now by the Holy Spirit, but boy, he will wipe away every tear on the last day. And already, in the victory of Jesus Christ, Christ now is the fulfillment of this beatitude. He is the meek one. And yes, his meekness got him the cross. Yes, it did, but the cross couldn't hold him, and he was raised from the dead, and the nations are his. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, says Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if you are in Christ, then you are heirs with Christ. Heirs with Christ, and his kingdom is yours. That's your inheritance. What is this? Earth. It's the new heavens and the new earth of Revelation 21. Startling. Revelation 21, it says, um, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. You see, the wicked have been cast away into punishment. The wicked are gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. Jesus makes a guarantee and it's better than any of our real estate agents in this church can give you. You get the whole new heavens and new earth. They are yours. They are yours. You have a taste of it now. You have a taste of it now. Paul, 1 Corinthians, he says, All things are yours in Christ. You who are content, all things are yours in Christ already now. You need to know that. But the day is coming when it's coming in fullness. The wicked will be no more. And the Christian, the disciple of Jesus, the child of God, will inherit receiving. Remember, Christianity is a receiving religion. And once again, receiving, not achieving, but receiving. You will inherit. I don't know how much your parents and grandparents left you, and if you have a trust fund or not, but I guarantee you, you've got a big one coming. So, Jesus... Be my vision. Be my vision. Make my heart like yours. Let's pray. Oh Lord, your words are so rich. My words are so, so inadequate. But we pray, Jesus, each of us would take your yoke upon us, the yoke of 
the easy yoke of grace, the light burden of union with you by faith, believing in this gospel of grace. And then, and only then, can we really learn of you. Yes, now you will be pleased because it won't be some kind of self-centered works righteousness. But you will be pleased as we clothe ourselves with meekness and gentleness and humility and patience. That we would live first submitted to God and then we could learn how to live in humble and submissive ways toward one another. Lord, the world's riches are so attractive to us. The world's property seems so appealing to us. And I want to be right, and I want to be first, and I like being the strong one and the assertive one. I pray, O oh God, that you will cleanse me and my friends here, and that you would make us like Jesus. You would make us meek and lowly of heart. And you'd give us rest. Be the vision for us. Let us study Jesus as he lived and study Jesus as he is glorified, that we may be more like him. In his name we pray. Amen.